All of it is supported by Missouri, makers of handcrafted jewelry that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has you covered. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Okay, everybody, let's go to the museum together. I mean, we can't physically go together, but that doesn't mean we can't appreciate art and artists online. We had our next guest on our radar to be on this show to talk about her first solo museum exhibition in New York City, which opened in February. It's called, and is still called, Jordan Castile Within Reach. The new museum show features almost 40 paintings by the 31-year-old and was scheduled to run until May 24th, so who knows, maybe we'll see it in person after all. The museum has posted photos of Jordan Castile's show on its website, and you can purchase a copy of the show's catalog available online at artbook.com. The paintings in the show are bright and larger than life, and they often feature people of color in intimate settings, staring directly into the, to the viewer of the canvas. Jordan was raised in Denver, educated in Decatur, Georgia, and New Haven, Connecticut, and now is a Harlemite, and the citizens of Harlem are main source of inspiration for her as a painter. I am thrilled that Jordan Castile can join us today. Hi, Jordan. Hi, Allison. Such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for so having me. Of course. We're excited to talk to you. So when did you <laughs> first discover your love of painting? Uh, the love of painting came a little bit later than maybe the average person who's having a show at the New Museum. Um, <laughs> I was always a maker in my entire life. I spent most of my time in the corner of whatever room I could find making things, uh, whether they were mobiles that would go on the wall or... Uh, grabbing a spray can and making little, like, um, what are they called, open space paintings. And then ultimately, when I was in undergraduate school, I had the opportunity to study abroad and took my first oil painting class. And that's when I really fell in love with the material of paint and the canvas as a surface. And, And from there, it's been hard to look back. The practice has just continued to grow. And, and now I'm working full-time, really, in essence, as a painter, which is a dream come true. But you weren't always, when you were, in, when you were an undergrad, you weren't a studio art major to begin with. You were studying anthropology <laughs> and sociology. So yes, when you thought, yes. I'm going to change my major, that's a big, big decision. What, what questions did you ask yourself before making oh. that big choice? I am a very practical kind of person who often has a plan A, B, and C. I'm a very forward motion thinker, which causes great anxiety at times, but um, has also allowed me to plan effectively for a um, certain amount of stability. And my first anxiety, I was a sociology anthropology major. For me, I went into undergraduate school thinking, if I can write and I can communicate well, I can do anything. And if that means circling back to making art down the line, then so be it. But my passion for social justice, my passion for communicating the needs of others have always been true for who I am. Um, But it was my junior year that, yeah, this epiphany happened that I was really happy painting and that happiness was going to be something that I would want for the rest of my life as we all seek joy and happiness in various capacities. But the moment I called my parents and and said, you know, I, I would like to change my major, I think it was pretty terrifying for us all because there's no real um, 
playbook for how to be a successful artist and how to keep a roof over your head. I hadn't had modeling up until that point. Um, so I just think there was a certain amount of uncertainty that came with that change that sparked a lot of uh, anxiety, really. And then um, I just continued to try to find ways to support myself. And that's where education came into my life. And I started teaching for a time, um, thinking about if I can be an art teacher, then I can make art and teach and make a living. I'm interested in how you think about how anthropology and sociology might have informed your art practice. Because I don't know if you know, the, the artist Gina Beavers also studied anthropology. Yes. Yeah, I actually didn't know that, but I love Gina Beaver's work um, yeah. immensely and show it to my students frequently. But I think that for me, I grew up in a household where social justice and um, critical engagement with my environment and being an empathetic observer was always on the forefront, that my mother had really raised me to look behind the curtain of whatever institutions or spaces that I occupied to see what the lifeblood behind the curtain actually looked by, like, who those people were that were keeping places functioning and clean and healthy and us fed. Um, for example, she took me my first year in college into the dining hall pretty immediately on my first day, really, and made a point of saying, these are the people that you need to know. Um, they're going to be the people who have your back, that you will see the most consistently. They will be your family. Um, that that modeling for me is really based in sociological and anthropological thinking about understanding the way that the systems that we've inherently kind of fallen into, that we have choices within those systems about how we engage with one another, um, and that me being an active part in that could really create substantial change, whatever that looked like. Do you think, um, as you're listening to your talk, I'm thinking this has got to be in her DNA because people <laughs> might not know this. You're the granddaughter of a well-known civil rights activist, Whitney Moore yeah. Young Jr., that, yeah. you know, even though it's maybe not capital A activism, but you, but there is, as you said, a social justice pull? Yeah. To, you're so you're pulled me, towards it? Yeah. I mean, I grew up with, like you said, I am the granddaughter of Whitney Moore Young, which in and of itself is a sentence that carries a lot of um, legacy weight, one might say, and perhaps expectations about how I move through the world. But my mother in particular did a really wonderful job in raising us to um, walk the walk and not just talk the talk. That for us, we weren't just allowed to be the granddaughter of and allow that to be a stamp of social activism in and of itself, that we had to live in the values and the integrity that um, had been imbued upon her as a young woman through her father, and then she um, generationally passed it on to her own children and on to us. So there's never been an expectation to fulfill um, the shoes of my grandfather in a very particular way, but there have been subtle and not so subtle messaging that I have taken into account when I'm making decisions about how my canvases are going to function in space and the scale of my canvases. Um, I use my sense of humor in some ways in thinking about how people have to make room for these bodies, that there's a physical gesture of moving things around in their homes in order to hang these six by seven-foot canvases on their walls and choosing to live with black and brown bodies um, who are actively engaged in their space through their gaze. 
My guest is Jordan Castile. The name of her show is Jordan Castile Within Reach. It's at the New Museum. You should go online and and check it out. I do want to. I do think this is such an interesting part of your biography. So you you wound up getting your MFA at Yale, which is not an easy thing. Just wind up getting your MFA at Yale, but that you, <laughs> but that you had a um, an interesting sort of introduction to what that meant. That you weren't necessarily clear not clear it's not the right word but that you well what were your expectations when you when you showed up in New Haven I thought I was going to art school my expectations were that I would kind of I don't know like in a film that I maybe had seen of old masters standing around and a nude figure and they're learning how to draw and paint and there's somebody telling them how to hold a brush and how to mix colors and I went into Yale thinking that I would get some of that um and I realized that that was something that they expected should have already occurred before I got there, once I got there. Um, so there was a lot of opportunity for me to practice what it means to be a learner, to kind of move through that space with a certain amount of gratitude, without a certain amount of entitlement or sense of belonging. I didn't really ever feel that I or felt. I still struggle with imposter syndrome, quite frankly, that I, I feel like, I'm waiting for somebody to say, you know, just kidding. Um, but in reality, I have worked really hard, and, and I worked particularly hard during my time in graduate school at Yale in order to make up what I saw for as lost time that my classmates had several years on me having attended maybe art undergraduate schools that I went to a liberal arts school and I could communicate, but I didn't feel comfortable communicating about art. I felt that there was a barrier in the way that people were talking about art, that there was a language um, that was in essence, kind of elitist or um, was full of words that didn't necessarily make sense when all I was seeing was maybe a piece of cardboard on the wall that they would talk about it in a different way. And I had to learn to reconcile that for myself um, in my own practice, that I really work hard to use language as a tool for um, accessibility around the work, that it, it doesn't have to be as complicated, that it's just human and it's about experiences and storytelling for me. My guest is artist Jordan Castile. When did you first move to Harlem? I moved to Harlem right, well, right when I got um, the residency at the Studio Museum in Harlem. So I got the the phone call from Thelma Golden saying that I was being invited as a resident, a 2015-2016 artist in residence at the Studio Museum in Harlem. And when I got that offer, I quite immediately knew that I needed to commit myself fully to the experience. And part of that was going to be embedding myself in the community that has um, sparked an institution such as the Studio Museum that I really wanted to be a part of all that it had to offer. So I moved to Harlem, packed my bags from, at the time I was living in Ridgewood, um, and it's like on the border of Queens and Bushwick and Brooklyn, and I um, moved uptown and have never looked back. It was the first time I felt my shoulders relax in a way that felt like home. But there's a big artist community in, in that Ridgewood section. Oh, there's a huge artist community in Ridgewood, particularly because there's space. Um, So a lot of artists have studios that they, and it's, I mean, the rent is cheaper as well. So a lot of artists are able to occupy physical space and and keep their practices afloat, Um, which was harder to find in Harlem. But having a residency such as a studio museum provided me with the space and the time that I needed to really allow my practice to flourish. When did you first realize that Harlem was seeping into your work? 
It just it yeah, was permeating yeah. you. Yeah, it was pretty immediate. I so the residency was I, it, um, our studios were facing 125th Street, um, and I had the constant kind of sound of Harlem in the background, that there were drummings, I could hear the drumming on the street, that there was a real flow of energy that seeped through the walls of the building and into my studio space from the first day that I moved in. And it was hard to ignore that I had to kind of acknowledge what it was that the street was calling out to me for. Um, And I felt that there was a real opportunity for me to come outside of the practice as it had been up until that point and to encounter people on the street and ask for them to participate in this project. So it was a really immediate decision once I started that residency to move um, into a street casting kind of scenario where I would approach people and ask to take their photograph um, where they were and how they are and whatever made them feel comfortable and really collaborate on on a portrait with them. Yeah, that's so interesting that there you, you would take a photo of someone and then do you, you bring it back and how much time do you spend with the photo? Do you spend the time sort of examining the background, their faces, or does the is the photo about sort of creating a moment and a feeling for you to get started? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. So I, in that moment when I'm with someone, will spend sometimes up to 20 or 30 minutes just getting to know them, asking them where they want to be, what are the most important things in their environment that they maybe want me to capture. I might take maybe 100 photographs in those 20 minutes. I'm just clicking away. I am in no way a photographer, but I'm almost working as if I'm a filmmaker trying to capture all the things happening around that moment with somebody to bring back to the studio so that I do take some time to reflect on what that moment was, the things that stood out. And then it's not a one-to-one relationship between a single photograph and the painting, but I allow multiple photographs to inform the composition of the painting, that there might be an object three feet to the left of somebody that wasn't in an individual photograph that I knew was important based off of something they had shared with me that I can, through the magic of painting, I can kind of bring in closer to the subject so that the viewer can engage with that object as well. Um, So I've been... Not that much time, but also a lot of time with the photographs themselves. The most time is spent with the painting. My guest is Jordan Castile, the artist. The name of her show at the new museum is Within Reach. How would you describe this show? What, what's, oh. the, what's the cohesive, what is the uh, connective tissue between the paintings? <laughs> Oh, the connective tissue, I think, is me and the spaces that I've occupied and all the people. Um, Mm -hmm. It is the people themselves and and real observation for and about humanity. Um, They're bold. The scale of a lot of the paintings, I think, is one of the first things you experience when you come into the space is that everybody is your size or larger um, and that you're getting an opportunity in some of the crop paintings to really investigate more subtle interactions between a figure and their environment, that the subtlety of an embrace really comes into focus when you're drawn into that portion of the painting as a whole. But the thing that encompasses them all is really my trajectory over the past seven years and the lives that have touched me along the way and the spaces that I've had the opportunity to occupy and the people who have really transformed an unknown space to me seven years ago here in New York into a family, that they're 
really family members more than anything when I when I enter that space. That you get a sense of home or belonging. My hope is that people feel a sense of belonging at least. So these these huge paintings, as you described, a lot of the work features brown and black men. And you have a twin brother, right? I do, I do, and Does, an older brother as well. I'm wondering how having a twin brother, because you know those, you twins <laughs> have those special <laughs> bonds, it, does it influence the way you paint men at all? Um, I'm not sure if the relationship specifically of the twin is to influence the way that I paint men. I think it's my being, as my mother described when I was six months old, that I was a keen observer even then, that I found mm-hmm. myself, she would find me sitting back um, and observing the needs of my family and then kind of filling those gaps as I saw fit. And I think that my practice has really kind of embodied that. So as a young person and as somebody who loves my siblings dearly and observed um, some of the things that they were experiencing in their life as black men that they um, maybe were feeling invisible at times. It's the same way that I do at times as a black woman, um, that I wanted to use my painting practice as a way to bring people to the forefront that I loved, that if I were to imagine what it was that I wanted people to see, what I had the capacity to kind of create that about the people that I loved the most, that um, representing the male figure and representing just the human figure in in all, because I even then thought quite clearly that even if I'm painting just black men for a time, which I only did for a time, that the feminine was always present because I can't help but see myself in those paintings as well, that it's about a relationship Mm. between me and the sitter. And I I see the feminine imbued in those paintings just as strongly as I see the masculine. And it's about the relationship between me and each individual that I'm painting that matters the most to me. My guest is artist Jordan Castile. So there's a, a piece that showed up on Artnet, and you may be aware of this, called Stir Crazy Already? Feast Your Eyes on 20 Works of Art that Celebrate the Joys of Being at Home. And there are some <laughs> paintings that we all know, some, you know, some Sargent paintings and a Hockney painting. And there you are with Kimma <laughs> from 2019. Somehow right in the mix. Yes. <laughs> Can you describe this painting uh, for folks and... And what you think about when you think about home as a theme? Yeah, so I, you're going to have to actually remind. I'm not sure which or remember which painting specifically they posted. Can you it's remind Kimma. me? She's oh, got the braids. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. So I think what's really spectacular about that painting of Kimma in particular is it is the first painting that I did that represents my students at Rutgers University Newark, where I teach painting and have been teaching painting for the past three and a half, almost four years now. And I had been jokingly saying to my students for the past few years, I'm going to paint you guys one day. But I hadn't necessarily like really embraced the potential of doing that. (laughs) I, I had said it sort of flippantly. I joked about it. But I wasn't sure what that would mean in terms of my relationship to them and their relationship to me, that they were acutely aware of what my painting practice looked like. Um, and I, I just had a lot of uncertainty. But as soon as I committed, the flood of enthusiasm from all of them was overwhelming. And Kemma was one of the first that I had the opportunity to photograph in her studio at Rutgers University in Newark. And she's sprawled with her legs stretched across one of the stools that was in her studio. And her shoes are off, which I had actually given a hard time for because I deemed it as not necessarily sanitary or safe. But 
And she was relaxed. <laughs> what I love about that painting is that she's so relaxed and you get to feel a sense of home that I had entered her kind of comfort space. And then she's gazing back out and enjoying kind of sharing that with the viewer. In the background, she has some of her own paintings, um, which is what is depicted behind. There's a sketch, a sketch of, I think, her mother kind of right behind her head. Um, and then there's the Ghanaian flag right behind her. Um, and she's covered in paint on her legs. And her, like you said, she she's wearing long braids that I loved painting, quite frankly. Um, those are the moments that I, I get kind of lost in my own head when I'm making the painting itself. So that that was the beginning of a series of work that has been the most recent to be on exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on exhibition at Casey Captain Gallery here in New York in November, and now it's the first work that you see when you enter the show at the New Museum, that you're greeted by my students, first and foremost, young people whose ambitions are like my own and like many of us to kind of put their creativity front and center for others to participate in. It sounds like you love teaching. I do love teaching. I really, there is a safety that education provides for me and for, I think, the students. I feel most myself when I'm in the classroom, um, that I feel that they have as much to teach me as I have to offer them, that it's a real kind of mutually exchanging, beautiful, nurturing, complicated, but generally expansive place. Um, that I love. So for folks who want to, who are going to go into the New Museum website and check out your paintings, obviously not the same as seeing them in person, but we're, you know, fingers crossed, maybe that will be able to be ha- happen. <laughs> yeah. What would you like to, um, is there one you'd like them to pay attention to or something you'd like them to consider as they're, as they're enjoying your work online? Oh, as they work, I, I think considering and thinking about the scale really kind of, I mean, closing one's eyes means you're not seeing the images in front of you, but taking some time to really think about how the space is really highlighting the paintings themselves and the relationships between them. There are kind of pockets of rooms that we curated and um, that Massimiliano Gianni and I really worked hard to think about, about how you move through the evolution of my practice and then how the relationships between paintings kind of highlight me as a painter and my love for painting and color, that when you distill it all down, there is a love for education, there is a love for people and humanity, there's a love for color, um, and then there's just a love for paint. I really, really love painting and the material itself, and there's a lusciousness that can be lost in photograph, um, but I think you can kind of imagine oneself in front of these paintings and thinking about the, the kind of landscape or the topography of the canvas itself. It's, it's a pretty magnificent experience. My guest has been painter Jordan Castile, whose exhibition Jordan Castile Within Reach is currently on view at the New Museum and can be seen on its website. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Allison. This has been a real pleasure. And in the meantime, listeners, if you're hungry for museum updates, the New Museum has a new biweekly email newsletter called Home Delivery, which you can sign up for on the museum's website. All of it is supported by Majuri, makers of handcrafted, ethically sourced jewelry for every day that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Majuri has taken the guesswork out of gifting, offering everything from dainty 14K solid gold pieces to pearls, diamonds, gemstones, and more. Make it personal with an engraving, or if you can't decide, check out their curated gift guide. Let them take care of the rest, gift wrapping included. 
Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus easy returns and a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it.